Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Lost Tribe, The Traveler. As always, I am the author and your humble narrator, Peter Ivey. This week I will be reading chapters 11 to 13. If you enjoy the podcast, please like it and share. It is literally the life's blood of podcasting. If you are interested in physical copies of my series, the books are all available on Amazon. Pipping myself as always, thank you all, and let's get on with the show. Chapter 11 We arrived shortly after at a world that seemed very familiar to me. It was barren, a wind-swept place, devoid of life and populated with stunted white trees and spires of stone that reached into a sun-beaten sky. Could it be the same place that the stranger had exiled me to before? I was almost sure it was the very same. Even the air was the same, stifling and dry. Everything was the same, save for an incongruous patch of green grass. The stranger walked over to the patch, not surprised that it was there, it seemed, and waved his hand. An iron table sprung into view with a set of three chairs. They looked more at home in Trelane, by the sea, than in this empty place. I could also see a pitcher of water and some glasses, even a bowl of fruit. They were all peering before my eyes, and I realized that I really didn't know what the stranger could do at all. I summoned a piece of fruit into my hand and bit into it. Not so bad, is it? Casey said, pulling up a chair. No, I said, swallowing a mouthful. It's much better here than last time. This time at least there's water. I poured Casey and I a glass from the pitcher, ignoring the stranger as I walked by him to do so. I sat down at the table and took a sip of water. Ah, much better. The stranger sat down in the last chair. I glared at him from behind the glass as I took another sip. I know that we have had our differences, Mick, but I think it is time to put aside the past and move on. I kicked out and booted the chair, toppling him ass over tea kettle to the ground. Oh, I've moved on, I said as I turned to Casey. Could you give us a minute? She stretched out her legs and slipped down her fedora so it covered her eyes. I'm good, she said. I stepped over and put my bare foot on the stranger's chest. I've moved on, except for certain recent events that have pissed me off to no end. You know, like being pushed by you into the arms of a cannibal madman, then distracting me and letting me get run over by a car, then messing with me in my dreams while I convalesced, and simultaneously committing me to a hospital under the tender care of Dr. Wilkes, who wanted to turn me into his newest lab rat. That shit is on you, stranger. The stranger pushed my foot off. I backed up a bit as he got up and brushed himself down. I'd like that his robes were dirty now. Except for the first part, all of what you have said I did not do, he replied, writing the chair. I blinked. He could very well be lying. But what if he wasn't? Could all that have been my head? It was too maddening otherwise to consider. I decided to deal with the particulars and find out more. So you did put Falker in my path? Yes. What the hell for? I needed you to see why individuals like yourself are potentially very dangerous. I needed you to see Falkir as a prelude to this meeting. My accident wasn't planned, and all the other things I mentioned? No. I decided to get Casey instead when I realized what had happened. Now we need you. I chewed all this over again. He could be lying. But if he's not, then who the hell was that? Wilkes described the stranger well enough, and I'm sure I saw him on the corner. Maybe he was a hallucination after all. Maybe my dream was just a dream. Maybe. But there was such a sense of reality to it, and the green light in the sky was the most real thing there. Could I trust these two? Casey helped me get out of there. She's earned my trust. That I knew at least. The stranger, though, there was so much I didn't know. 
Okay, I said. What's going on? Why do you need me? Will you sit down? I shrugged and sat down at the table. Casey tipped her hat up and sat forward, smiling at me. I returned her smile and passed her piece of fruit. She took it and began tossing it from hand to hand, her eyes on the stranger. It is time for some answers, Mick. The reason will become clear, I am sure. First of all, I am only able to tell you so much without destroying myself in the process. Why that is, I also cannot tell you, as it would result in the same. The most fundamental thing you need to understand right now is that there are only a finite number of worlds that exist in the universe, separated by barriers of reality that your folk are able to pass through. The continued existence of these worlds and the people that live on them is my main concern. My purpose is to keep your kind away from them. You know this, and I think by now you understand why. Your kind disrupts the balance of reality in which these worlds reside with your power. The more power you use, the more destructive the backlash becomes. Your very presence eventually brings about destruction, hence the fact that I name you Traveler. I am supposed to exile you from the worlds if your influence becomes too great, and ensure that the lives of the people in those worlds continue on their natural way. That has worked, up to a point. But things have changed. The Kingdom I interjected. Casey gave me a sidelong glance. Yes, the kingdom. As you saw with Falkir, most of you are less squeamish about your role in the universe. Falkir believes that he is superior to the people on these worlds, and hunts them like prey until I exile him. If it was just Falkir, then the problem would be manageable. Regretfully, more of your people, those who are of a similar outlook, are gathering under the banner of a twisted, powerful woman named Lethia. Their goal is to bend the universe to their will. They call themselves the Kingdom, and they are murdering people by the thousands in their path as they move across the worlds. They are hunting those who will not join them, Mick. We need you, and the others like you, to oppose them. I need you and Casey to bring others like you into the fold. This all seems to raise more questions than it answers, I said. I have a couple. Of course. Go ahead. Is Falkir still alive? Yes. But I am unaware of where he is. Until one of you uses your powers in a major way, or for a prolonged time, I cannot seek you out. Falkir has been quiet, probably recovering from your battle. Wonderful, I said, unhappy with the confirmation of Falkir's continued existence. Well, besides the fact that I don't care for people being murdered in droves, why should I turn against my own kind to help you? Casey reached across the table and took my hand. I'm one of your kind, too, Mick. There are others who think like you do. Wouldn't it be good to have some kind of family? Something to belong to? Yes, I said. I gripped her hand and then let it go. But we need answers, too. What you've just told me isn't exactly easy to take, stranger. I'm new at this, relatively. I don't know who to trust. As you might imagine, the list of people who I do trust is pretty small, and you're not on it. Your details about who and what we are have been few, and I want more. I cannot tell you those things, Mick, but I can lead you to the answers in other ways. My price is your cooperation. I considered all I was told. There were a lot of things he wasn't saying, and perhaps what the dream figure of the stranger had said could be true. Perhaps he couldn't say what he knew, at the risk of his own destruction. Either way, Casey's point was my only deciding factor. It would be worth it to have whatever answers he could give, and find some sense of a community again, a family. Okay, I said, pouring another glass of water. What's the plan? 
Chapter 12 Casey and I said our goodbyes. We were both going to different worlds to do the stranger's bidding. I felt a slight panic as we parted ways. I knew that she could take care of herself, obviously. But I had this irrational sense of anxiety that had nothing to do with where I was going. As I released her hand from mine, I felt foreboding that seemed out of place in this world of wonder. I was part of something bigger now. We both were. I watched her leave from the world where we stood together. She said no words as she aimed and fired one of her guns, and the world broke in the empty air, creating a portal. I was falling in love with a girl that could blow holes in the universe. Life was very interesting. I began opening up my own way, invoking the words that brought the green fire. There is a good chance that the kingdom will be there, the stranger said, off to the side. He stood with his arms crossed behind his back. Yeah, I figure they might be, I said, finishing the words. That is an interesting piece of lyric, he said. You have a poet's soul. Thanks, stranger. Farewell, traveler. I jumped through the portal. The place I arrived in was both beautiful and frightening. From where I stood in a clearing whose surface was dusky, fitted brownstone, it was in the middle of a giant's collection of building blocks. Great monolithic ruins of stone dominated the landscape. Towers of crumbling stone and broken arches spanned what looked like a valley where a mighty city once stood. It was masterfully wrought, or so it must have been when it was in its prime. The building stones were perfectly fitted as well, and carved with the kind of precision that one only saw in modern cities where I came from. I had the sense, though, that this place was much older, and that I was more or less entering a graveyard rather than a city. I could feel the weight of centuries here. The flat, gray sky, which rumbled with thunder from time to time, seemed to press down on everything under it. Around the city, I could see a vast jungle surrounded in mist. The jungle was slowly reclaiming the city. Everywhere I looked, vines from the undergrowth had begun to work their way through the stone, creating a tangle of hanging vines and creepers. I could feel the humidity in the air and felt sweat starting to trickle down my back where I stood in my coat. I had taken some time to collect a few things after our discussion, and felt better equipped now. I had summoned a new set of clothes, including a dark shirt and jeans that fit rather tight but worked anyway, and a pair of hiking boots. I also grabbed a canteen and filled it before I left. I had a feeling I'd be needing it. I kept my scabbard and sword, attaching it to a piece of strap that went across my back. I also felt that I needed that. <laughs> a strong feeling. It would be difficult to find anyone in this maze. I needed to get some perspective. I decided to climb up onto one of the archways, which was nearly 20 feet in the air. I had no climbing tools, so I got as far as I could with pure effort till I lucked into a strong vine that got me up the rest of the way. I sat down once I reached the top and took a drink from the canteen while my body caught up with my ambition. While I sat, I looked around the city. The towers still blocked my view, but I was able to see the city seemed to rest in a bowl that dipped heavily towards the center. It was as if all eyes were meant to be drawn to something there, and indeed there was a structure standing in the ruins. For what little I could see of it, it was more elaborate than the towers, and seemed to comprise an inner chamber which most of the structures did not. It was a broken dome surrounded by small turrets. That might be a good place to find my kin if they were as the stranger described. I decided to make my way there, and began to climb down from the archway. From such a high perch, one often experiences a great and terrible fall. I nearly lost my footing at the sound of the voice, and took hold of the strong vine for dear life. I looked around for the source and found it on the ground near the base of the arch. An older, dark-haired woman in an ochre dress sat on one of the pieces of slab-like rubble. Her legs crossed as one bare foot kicked lightly in the air as she looked at me with a little smile. 
There were little seashells woven into her hair and ivory bangles on her arms. I was surprised as we locked eyes that with the frequency of the appearance of my kin, her eyes did not flare with the green power that marked us. Instead, she returned my gaze with blue eyes that reminded me of the rough, brilliant, deep blue seas that I sailed on when I awakened to my new life. I didn't know what to make of her. You nearly got me killed. It clearly looked like you knew what you were doing, she said. I was merely stating a common fact about such endeavors. Well, thanks, I said, climbing down to a ledge. I never suspected I was in mortal danger while defying gravity. She laughed and kicked her feet. I finished climbing down and came over to where she sat. If you don't mind me asking, I'd love to know what you're doing here. That is none of your business, I think, she said, raising a pair of thin, dark eyebrows. All right, but you must admit that it is a bit odd, finding you wander about in an ancient city in the middle of a jungle, without hiking boots and dressed like some tribal princess. You think me a princess, she said, beaming. Well... Oh, have I rendered thee speechless? Ha, <laughs> thee. Is that not how I should speak? Many these, thous, and come hithers? Well, as long as you don't refer to me as a subject, then I'm cool with it. Forgive my curiosity, then. Very well, peasant, she said. Would you help a lady up? She reached out her hand, and I helped her off the stone. She was tall in stature, and she carried herself with a sense of poise that befitted her personality. She also seemed perfectly at home standing on the stones in bare feet. Something bothered me about that, but I couldn't understand why. I quickly looked up, realizing I was staring at her feet. Sorry, I said. You have very pretty toes. Thank you, she said, and actually blushed. What are you doing here, anyway? I used to live here many years ago, she said. I am looking for some of my people. We were few in number and spread out across this world. I thought I would look for them here and hope they would return to our ancestral home. I see, I said, unable to stop the curving of one lip. What is your name? Oh, sorry. Poor manners on my part, I said. It's Wilkes. Nice to meet you, Wilkes, she replied. I am called Julia. Some of the pieces of the puzzle were still missing here. Was she really a citizen of this place, or was she just another traveler? As far as I've been so far, the power showing through her eyes was an automatic response when we met one another. I doubt Falker would have given away that piece of information if he could have resisted doing so. I also doubted that I could be able to get rid of this woman's company very easily, when we were so obviously both here for the same thing. I couldn't trust her, but at least I could keep an eye on her until I found my people. Listen, Julia, if you want my help in looking for your people, that's fine. I want to have a look at that building in the center. Okay? She smiled and gave me a kiss on the cheek. That sounds good, she said, her hand on my shoulder. I cocked my arm, elbow out. My lady? She took it, and we began to walk through the ruins, down through the city towards the dome structure at the center. We walked in silence for the most part, and I took a couple of moments to climb up now, and then to check that we were going the right way. The city was a tangle of vines and broken rubble that made it seem like a deliberate maze. Julia seemed to have no problem navigating the avenues and the alleys as we made our way through, we seemed to lend some credence to her story that she was native to the city. I wondered how old she was. I really hadn't stopped to notice if there were any differences in human beings from one world to another. Maybe people here lived for a lot longer. Perhaps. But I knew I couldn't trust her, even though it seemed like her story held. Do you see anything? She asked from down below. 
We're going the right way. Uh, a few more blocks and we'll be there, I replied, hugging the side of a ziggurat as I looked around. But, no, I don't see anyone making their way through the rubble. Maybe they're not here, Julia. A few seconds went by. Julia? Wilkes, I do believe you need to look up. I looked back and down to see that Julia was standing stock still in the middle of the avenue, looking upward as the avenue seemed to grow darker. I looked up as well and nearly lost my grip when I did. Above us, slowly moving in the direction of the center, was a ship. It wasn't as big as the Maria, but it looked like a seafaring vessel floating in the air. It had a massive balloon strapped to the deck and propellers on the side that were whirring lazily as the ship moved onward. I couldn't see it, but I now could hear a massive propeller humming away in the aft quarter. The hull was ship-shape and could probably manage a sea voyage. If I moved to the top of the ziggurat, I could probably reach out and touch the hull as it passed. I could now make out that the bow was carved into a lady with her hand raised to shield her eyes. It was beautifully rendered. I was about to start climbing up a little further to get a better look when a man's head poked over the side and he spotted me. The glimpse I caught of him was of a mad arrangement of whitish blonde hair that rose in crazed tufts from a young scalp that had no lines of worry carved into it. He was clean-shaved and blue-eyed. When his eyes met mine, they flared with power. He must have seen the same in mine, because he began to move back along the deck to get a better look, his head looming over the side. I clammed on quickly to pursue the ship through the streets. Julia grabbed my hand. Who are they? I don't know, I lied, but we need to catch up to them. No, they might want to hurt us. What? <laughs> you don't know that, I replied, taking a hold of her. She gripped my arms and pushed me up against the ruined wall. Stay with me, she said, pushing herself up against me. Her breasts and stomach were tight against me, and I could feel how warm she was. Uh, listen, we need to... To what? She said, kissing me and bringing up one of her legs to straddle my hip. I hadn't felt this way in so long. I kissed her, running my hand through her hair as I pulled her up to me. I could feel the power stirring inside me now, too. I felt so alive. I couldn't remember why I needed to do anything else. She was so warm. Oh, Mick. What? I said. Mm, why did you stop? I backed away from her, pushing her away gently as my mind began to pull itself back from the brink, heaving out all of the hormones and into a cold shower of reality. You called me Mick. I stared at Julia as I backed away from the direction of the ship. I am sorry, a previous lover. I am so sorry. Lady, you're full of it. I began to run, moving towards the ship. I heard her cry of outrage as I took off. The part I was running through was relatively uncluttered, and I could see the ship, which is still moving towards the center. Here and there there were vines or pieces of rubble that I jumped over or dodged around. I now had the feeling that I had been duped entirely by Julia. She had been delaying me from pursuing the ship. I wondered what she was truly here for. The nagging in my gut told me that the answer wouldn't make me very happy. To hell with happy. <laughs> I'd settle for safe at the moment. I came out into a large plaza of broken columns and began to take off, as the crow flies, across it. Something caught my eye, and I slowed my pace to look. Across the way, moving just as fast as I was, there was a dark shape. It was heading towards the ship. Towards my people. I didn't know if it noticed me as well, but I assumed it did. I began running again, pushing myself to my limits. I couldn't let whatever or whoever that was reach the ship. On instinct, I drew my sword from the sheath across my back and hacked any vines out of the way in my berserk charge to close the distance. 
The power was flowing through me now, giving me a burst of terrible energy that I hadn't felt since I was aboard the enemy ship so long ago. At times, I had to consciously slow myself down for fear of crashing into the stone ruins as the power poured into me, accelerating my speed considerably. I had crossed through an arch when I realized the ship was almost directly over me. I would stopped. It stopped. A rope dropped down from above. I took the hint and scrambled up to it to get onto the deck. As I reached the top, a man reached out his hand to help me aboard. He was huge, and he held one dark, muscled arm out to pull me up. The man was a true giant, his muscles straining against a red-striped t-shirt and a pair of dark breeches. He was bearded and bald, with dark hair and dark skin. His eyes shone with power as I stared at him, and a broad smile broke out on his face. You are like us, he said in a deep, sonorous voice. You were right, Henry. Henry was over by the ship's wheel. It was a complex-looking series of levers connected to a glowing casing that looked like a wood stove. The casing shone with green light, and I was truly confused. Henry was the one who'd spotted me, though, with his wild hair and boyish face. His boyish appearance stopped there, though. He cut an impressive figure dressed in a blue naval jacket, with brass buttons and a white suit underneath. He had numerous pockets in the coat and suit, and each of them seemed to be made for an instrument or object that hung on fine gold or silver chains that attached to a blue cravat. He looked like either a mad genius or a naval engineer. He pulled the lever and stepped away from the wheel. Yes, it seems I was. He drew a cigarette case and a small globe from his pockets. Smoke, he offered. I took one as he tucked his own between his lips and lit it with a flick of the globe. I saw a small flame lick out as he worked it with a practiced hand. He probably made the damn thing. The big fellow took one as well. Henry lit ours with the globe, and we stood for a moment in silence. The high of the run was fading, and I was out of breath, but the smoke felt good anyway. The big guy put out his hand, and I took it. I am Takum, he said, shaking my hand with control. I'm sure he would have crushed it otherwise. Mick, I replied, nodding to Henry as well. I'm sorry that we have to meet this way, but we need to get out of here real fast, I said, pulling my sword again. Yes, Henry said, stepping around me, his eyes looking back from the ship. I'm sure you have a lot to explain. I turned around, following Henry's gaze. Floating across the city towards us, twenty feet away in the air, was Julia. Her hair and dress were waving in the wind as she came toward us at a good clip. That nagging feeling cut up to me, and I realized that she moved so easily because her feet never touched the ground. I should have listened to my instincts. I moved past Henry and pointed my sword towards her. Back off, Julia, or whoever you are. She stopped moving and fixed me with a cold stare. She wasn't smiling anymore. You might want to get this boat moving, guys, I said over my shoulder. Or you could hold for a moment and listen to what I propose. Julia said, floating around to get Henry's attention. Oh, I'll listen, Henry said. But I must confess that I am confused. I, I saw both of uh, you er, together when we first passed over you. Now you seem to be at odds. A lover's quarrel. Henry, she is not what she appears to be, I said, moving to his side. Aren't we all? He replied, smiling behind a halo of smoke. Who is that? Takum asked, pointing to the other side of the ship. I pushed Henry back and pointed the sword in Julia's direction. I looked down the length of the deck. Squatting on the rail, its cloak touching the deck was a figure wrapped in shadow. It moved quickly, landing on the deck with a quiet thump. I recognized the way it moved, and I began to walk steadily towards it. Takum, protect Henry and get the ship moving, now! 
What is your pleasure, my queen? I knew you weren't dead, I said, cutting an en garde in the space between us. The figure cocked his head, gazing at me. I could see the familiar glow from under the hood. Do I know you? I know it's you, Falkir. My queen, he said, looking to her as if confused. Julia held up her hand. Stay there, brother. He is here for my protection, gentlemen, she said to us, as I obviously seem to need it with such as Mick here. Really, Mick, waving that sword about. It's hardly fitting behavior for greeting family, is it? Family, I said, pointing at Falkir. He killed and ate his own father. Julia laughed. Henry and Takum were still glancing between the three of us, unsure of what to do. Father, I have no father. I have only my queen. The man pulled his cloak off and let it drop to the deck. I backed away. The man I knew as Falker was only recognizable by the twisted scar in his belly where I impaled him. Otherwise, there was very little left to mark him as the same man. He was bare-chested from the waist up, and his chest was covered with scars that looked like they were made with a human finger. The scars drew away from the wound in his chest in a weaving pattern. Swirls and spirals that raced up towards his neck and swooped down to his face. His eyes betrayed no sign of recognition towards me, and were pupilless and pale. His face was no longer the rough, twisted mass of scar tissue that was left after his father's dogs had their way with it, but instead a short canine snout had grown from his face, and he had sharp teeth like the hound that he was. His head had lost its dark locks, and he was bare of adornment save for the swirling pattern that had been wrought on the rest of him. I was not surprised to see, then, that his hands had retained the leather strapping around his wrists, but that his cruel-looking claws were even longer. I knew, then, who had rescued him from his death in the crevasse. The mother. Blesh. Oh, he's a pretty one. It makes sense that you just happened to find me here. Falkir's power led you to me, I said, standing on my ground. He is faithful to me, Julia said, and he is extremely useful. You're Lethia aren't you? I asked, not turning away from Falkir. Yes, I am Lethia. I backed away towards Henry and Dacoum. I heard a growl start from Falkir, and he looked at me now with complete and utter hatred. His claws flexed and creaked. We are the kingdom, and you will join us willingly, or live in servitude to us until the end of your days, Lethia said, her voice cold and confident. Henry stepped forward. Well, on behalf of my crew, myself, and I would imagine anyone else would have a brain, that would be a... No, he said. Get off my ship. Chapter 13 Many things happened at once. Falkir leapt at me, his claws reaching towards me to tear me up. Takum lifted his arm towards Falkir. Lethia changed. When I say that, I mean it in the most dramatic fashion. Her skin turned ghastly pale and black veins seemed to wriggle all over her as she rose higher into the air. There was a change in air pressure as well, as if her power was altering everything around her. Her eyes flared with green energy now. This thing, Lethia, if the other was truly Julia, was the true member of our kin that I had expected. Her face was grotesque, twisted with rage and hatred. Her hair became wispy white, and flew in all directions as she seethed at us. In some ways she was more terrifying than Falker by far. I had seconds to do something. I brought my sword across in a raking motion, trying to deflect Falkir's claws and do him some damage in the process. He was faster than that, and ducked under my blow to use his weight to bowl me over. 
He went over onto the deck in a scramble as he tried to claw my guts out while I slammed the pommel of my hilt into his skull. Repeatedly. He took one solid blow, then shook it off and came back howling. I tried to bring the sword bare against him, but he was too big for this kind of close-quarter fighting. Hell, this was a brawl, plain and simple. Then he smashed my sword into my hands with a rake of his claws, and it left deep scratches. I heard Henry yell and throw something that exploded on Lethia. I think it was that lighter of his. I also heard Takum yell my name, but I didn't know why. Falker put one hand on my throat and pulled back the other. Claws splayed to bury in my gut. I batted at him with wounded hands, but I wasn't doing a damn thing. He began to bring his claw down to do me in, but he seemed to be stuck on something. He looked at his hand, looked at me, and howled in frustration as it wouldn't move to strike me. Then his other hand went to his throat, as if something huge had grabbed a hold of it, and it began to do to him what he had been trying to do to me. I took the hint and punched him with both fists in the gut, and scrambled out from under him to grab my sword. When I got up, he was still standing there. I looked over at him at the deck, and Takum was standing still, energy burning out of his eyes as his hands moved in the air. He was crushing the life of Falkir without even touching him. That wasn't fair. He could bloody well crush anyone without any powers. Some guys get all the luck. Henry's was beginning to run short, though. His improvised grenade had done little to Lethia. Her arms were burned and her clothing scorched, but she wasn't giving an inch. I started to run towards her, but she moved very fast and backfisted Henry. He went flying down the deck. I think he lost some teeth there. He landed in a heap and started moaning. Takum didn't even see her coming, and he was so concentrated on holding Falkir at bay. She put one hand on his chest, and Takum screamed like no man had ever heard. It was agonizing. She held him there, smiling as he suffered. I charged at her, and she laughed as I struck downward to sever her hand. She moved back, easily dodging my blade, and let him fall to the deck. Things weren't looking so good for us here. Two down, one wounded. I ducked as Falkir came roaring and leapt at me. I struck him across the back, leaving a deep gouge. He landed and rolled, coming to a crouch at Lethia's feet. She patted his head and stood there as he moaned at her feet. She shifted again, becoming beautiful and young. Her arms were still burned, and there seemed to be blood coming from her hand where she had touched a comb. I was pretty sure I hadn't connected when I struck at her. It must be hard to be on the losing side, Mick, she chided, turning her lips down to a pout. She looked over at Takum. What the hell did you do to him? Oh, I just came in for a little taste, she said, licking her palm. I shuddered a bit. I can't believe we made out, I said, feeling somewhat nauseous. She smiled and moved towards me. I put up my sword and pointed it at her heart. Uh-uh. She stopped, and I could now see the black veins starting to worm their way back in. Excuse me, Mick, Henry said, pushing me out of the way. He was lucky I hadn't come in half. I was so keyed up by the fight that I barely restrained myself when he nudged me. Henry had a slender iron rod in his hand, and was twirling it around as he walked towards Lethia. Henry, what the... Catch, bitch! He tossed the rod. She flinched, probably remembering the grenade. It struck her in the chest, but dropped to the deck with no effect. I winced at Henry's blunder. You stupid little man, Lethia said, picking up the rod. Your ridiculous toys will not save you when I am done drinking you dry. I heard Henry muttering under his breath. It sounded like counting. He stopped and frowned. Hmm, I think I might have messed it up. A bolt of lightning then lit up the deck and hit Lethia square. She twitched for a moment, her hair on fire and her dress in immodest tatters. One of her eyes was blank and the other rolled around wildly as she hit the deck. No, no, Henry, I, I think that worked just fine. I walked over to Felker and put my sword to his neck. 
Take your queen and get out of here. He looked over at Lethia's helpless body and snarled at me. Yeah, yeah, I said, holding the blade closer to his throat. Just go. Henry sidled up to me. Why not kill them both? We can't truly die, or at least I haven't had a good track record with doing it so far, I said, shrugging. Are you sure? Yeah, Henry, I I'm sure. Okay. He leaned past me a bit. What he said? Henry leaned back and crossed his arms. I looked over at him and sighed. Falkir stood up and loped over to where Lithia lay unmoving. He put his ear against her chest and smiled. She lives still, he said. Lucky for you. I made a motion with my sword for him to get going. He looked at me and scoffed. The kingdom will find you all. We will rip your rotten traitorous hearts from you and make you watch while we... <coughs> Falkir stopped speaking as he and Lethia floated above the deck. They were held there momentarily and then seemed to be flung like toys by a child that had lost interest in them over the side and into the ruins below. Henry and I turned around to see Dacoum standing on the deck, his arms raised. Blood trickled from a ghastly wound in his chest where Lethia touched him. He dropped his arms and stood there, breathing heavily. I hate stowaways, he growled. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of The Lost Tribe, The Traveler. Tune in next week for more exciting adventures.